1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 19. If you would, please follow with me as we read the word of the Lord. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now... God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they are all one member, where would the body be? Father, help us to see the reality of this text. Help us to understand the majesty of this text. And yet, Lord, uh, let us bow before it. Help us to have ears to hear. Help us to have hearts that are open. And, Father, help us to have souls that rejoice at the amazing truths the Apostle Paul is giving us in this text. To you, glory, to your praise. Amen. We are looking at the church. This church in Corinth is struggling. Um, There was uh, multiple issues, multiple problems, to the point that he doesn't even deal with why he was contacted by them until the seventh chapter. Uh, there was sexual immorality. There was, um, I, you know what, I, I could probably just summarize it in, in one phrase. It, they were prideful. They were just prideful. Um, and they were not lacking in any gift. And yet, when they were allowing their flesh to take over, they were even corrupting spiritual gifts. And it was, instead of the selfless life, they were selfish. And in the body, uh, this local assembly, um, what God had called to unity, they had caused to be divided. And there were schisms in this body of people. And we've looked at this in verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet many members, all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So he basically gives the picture here, an illustration of what does it supposed to, what is it supposed to look like? What does church supposed to look like? Christ. It's the manifestation of Christ. But then he shows us what our identity is, and our identity is verse 13. He says, by one spirit, we all, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so what you have here is that he gives you the illustration in verse 12. He gives you the reality of that illustration in verse 13. And yet the key to the whole thing is one. One. And, and I see this today. Uh, the have and the have nots. 
Um, you don't have this gift, then you're not really being used. And we, we are literally promoting the seeking of gifts. You need to have this gift or you're not spiritual enough. If you're not uh, teaching a Sunday school class or if you're not uh, uh, teaching a Bible study or something like that, then you're not spiritual enough. And we spent months dealing with spiritual gifts and, and the complexity of spiritual gifts and the uniqueness of spiritual gifts. And yet, as we looked at last week, one of the things that I have seen in what I deal with, I've been meeting with pastors in our community now for every Thursday for about uh, two years. And I've seen them come and go and new church plants and new plans and new this and new that and all the rest of it. And the thing that I see consistent with all of them is discord. It is scattering of the body. Uh, And it starts off as something as simple as, well, I I think Founders needs a church. I I think the Meadows needs a church. Uh, Minimum Ridge needs a a church. We need a church over here. We need a church north of town, south of town, east of town, center of town, west of town. And and you listen to it, and and, and at first it sounds wonderful. We, We need to reach more people. But then as I watch and as I listen it becomes very clear that this is man. And then you will see it start percolating this way. Well, I need a church that reaches the elderly people. But I need a congregation that reaches younger people. I need a congregation that reaches young married people. I I need someone to help me reach, I'm divorced, or I need this, or I need that. What are you propagating? Self. Self. That's what was going on in the church in Corinth. People were coming to church for what they could get. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. And then he goes through and he lays out a foundation that says, we are talking about unity here. And the emphasis is unity. Corinth were seeking other gifts. Listen, if you're seeking a certain gift, a certain ministry, I guarantee you, you will not minister in the gift you've been given. Because self is all of a sudden driving. Look at verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. As the Spirit wills, the giftedness comes. Okay, so I like that because it says there's nothing here to seek. I don't have to seek after something. I don't have to chase after something. What also is nice here is there's there's no exaltation. There's no one is better than anyone else. Who gives them? The Spirit, as He desires. You are only perfectly gifted the way the Spirit of God wants you gifted. So there isn't one person has well, that has that gift, or this person has that gift. And yet, what do you see in the church today? I see the church today is that if I'm not teaching, then I must be what? I, I would say this. If you're not teaching, you're one of the wiser ones of the bunch. Because it says that a teacher shall be judged harsher. 
the standard will be lifted up for a teacher. Okay, so if you're not teaching, I'm thinking you're smarter. Okay, listen, there are two gifts. You can summarize gifts into speaking gifts and to serving gifts. Think about this for a second. On the human body, how many speaking gifts are there? One. But there's a whole bunch of other serving gifts, aren't there? Let me tell you something. If you cut the tongue out and it can't speak anymore, can the body still exist? Okay, take the liver out and see what happens. Okay? Oh, that sounds awful. No. Why was the illustration given of the human body as Christ? It takes a whole bunch of other members to make that body work. And that's why Paul's given us this. This is a perfect illustration if you think about it. There are things, nobody wants to be a liver. I mean, some of you may even eat liver. I wouldn't even eat a liver. I know what it does. I ain't eating that. That's like eating the oil filter in your car. I ain't doing that either. Nowhere in Scripture are we exhorted or commanded to seek gifts. We are to be happy with what we're given. And that's what we're looking at in this text. I mean, in verse 27, he begins with the application of it. But what we're looking at is, how does this thing work? How does it work? And why is it all out of joint? Because we've looked at our unity. We've looked at our identity. The unity is one body. Christ. Period. The identity is one spirit. You were immersed in one spirit. And not only that, you were made to drink of that one spirit. I look at the church today, and I've had the opportunity to travel outside of the country, and the church is struggling. And it's all in the area of spiritual gifts. And I don't think that this is a tough text. I don't think this is difficult. I look at it as very straightforward. The point is simple. The body is one, yet many members. Many members. We were all placed into the one body. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. Period. Let me show you some other text. This is still kind of like review. Go to the letter to the Ephesians. Chapter 4, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. The Apostle Paul, saying, I am a prisoner of the Lord. I beg you, walk in a manner worthy. He says, and I want you to do it in humility and gentleness. Okay? If I'm walking in humility, the key to humility is the absence of pride. Okay? You cannot have a little pride and a lot of humility. If you have a little pride, you have no humility. You got that? You can't. Well, I'm a little humble. No, you're not. No, you're not. The only way that humility exists is in the absence of pride. Okay? If I'm out seeking for a gift, or if I think that my gift is better than yours, you know, my ministry has a bigger impact. You know what? Your ministry does, but Christ doesn't. What? See, I I have to go back to the phrase, ministry is received, it's never achieved. And I see too many people right now who are trying to achieve some kind of ministry. 
All right, here's what he says. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. So what does that mean? The unity is already there. It's already there. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15. Let's start with 14. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups. And this is where Paul, Paul's in a state of freak out right here. Okay? Because he's, a mystery has been revealed to him, he says. He says, I can't even understand this. He says, but here's what he says. Both groups are into one. What both groups? Jew and Gentile. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that he himself might make the two one new man, thus establishing peace. And he might reconcile them both, one body to God, through the cross, having put to death the enmity. And he came... He preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access where? In one spirit, the Father. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and are God's household. You got that? That's an amazing text. But I want to show you something here because in verse 15, it says you are one new man. Okay, the word new there, there's two words you see in the Greek language for new. One is a quality of newness, and the other one is a not a based on time of newness. Okay, that's the word that is used here. It is like something that has never been seen before. You are a, now a new man. You are a, a new kind of existence, is what Paul is saying. It's completely different. It's, it's never existed before. Um, if you look at the temple at the time of the New Testament, you would find out that they had the court of the women. Okay, and women could not leave that court. Then you came into another area. It's called the court of the Gentiles. And you could go into that. And then you had the court of the Jews. And then you had the Holy of Holies. All right, so it was all what? Divided. And when Christ on the cross gave up his spirit, it says the curtain to the temple did what? Split top to bottom. Who has access now? The women have access. The men have access. And the Gentiles have access. Why? There is now a oneness. That's why Peter had all them problems. He kept eating them pepperonis and having all them visions. That's the only way I've ever had a vision. Okay, But he did. Remember? He, he, he I, I know we're supposed to take the message out, but to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles, you got to be kidding me. And yet he had to do it. Why? Because he was showing us that we are one. And it is a newness. It is something that has never been there before. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 4, there is one body, there is one spirit, just as also you were called in the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, for who? Of all. It's of all. Who is over all and through all, and each one is given grace. Okay, what I'm trying to get at there is there's an emphasis 
And the emphasis is this. One. There's just one. In Galatians chapter 3, verse uh, 28... Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are, most of you are one in Christ. Is that what it says? You're all one in Christ. We are all one in Christ. Now then, I want to go to the text, one of the most powerful texts that has ever had an effect on me. It comes out of the Gospel of John chapter 17. This is is the Lord's Prayer, for those who may not know that. Because this is where Jesus spoke these things, lifting his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son. And he starts praying. Okay, but in verse 20... I want you to see something here. I I want to go with 17 because one of the things that I'm seeing that are killing the church today is the means of sanctification that we are existing in. We believe that if we do this or we reach this person, I I seen a a thing on the news this morning that there is what they call the beer and Bible church. Yes, they sit down at the bar because that's where sinners are and they can sit there over a beer, discuss the Bible, and that's where they're reaching the lost people at. Beer and Bible. They also have the Pornography and Pancakes Church where they can discuss pornography and the blame of pornography over pancake breakfast. And I don't know how those two go together. Every time I eat pancakes, I get sleepy. And I'm not even going to talk about pornography. I mean, give me a break. Okay? But this is what the church is doing. You know, we started with 30 people at the Beer and the Bible Church, and we got 2,000 now. You know what's funny? About four or five years ago, I said, if I, you guys are expecting me to draw a crowd, what I want to do is give away free beer and movies on Sundays and hot dogs, and I can pack the church. And somebody stole my idea. <laughs> I needed to copyright that, and I would be in good shape right now. Okay? And they said, well, we don't want to be confronted. That's a great idea. It's a great idea. I share that with you because I watch people. Look at verse 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. How do I do that? Why do we have to go to books about the Bible? Why do I have to have a study or a method or a a plan, a philosophy? Explain that one to me right there. That's all I want to ask. We have bought into self-sanctification. Galatians says, oh foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? What you've begun in the spirit, you're now perfecting in the flesh. And you know what we've done? Yeah, I am. Why? If I do this study written by this author, if I do this study written by this author, if I go do this by this author, then I will what? What are you going to do? I can tell you what you're going to do. You're going to divide the church. Sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, now remember, this is Jesus praying, I also have sent them, this is the disciples, for their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Now then, here's the really cool part. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. How are you going to get saved? Through the words of the original disciples. Where are you going to get that at? The Bible. Bible. Not books about the Bible. You get it from the Bible. Okay, then look what he says next. That 
they, okay, the they there is reference to those who come to salvation through the preaching of the word of God, all right, that they will what? You better give all in there. If you are saved, you are one. You don't get the option here. Well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Presbyterian. No, if you're saved, you are one. And the only way you ever get a realization of that is through the sanctifying work of the truth. I look at the church today and they're not using the sanctifying work of the truth. We're using every bell and whistle that comes down the pike. And you look at the church and the church is all messed up, isn't it? Well, I'm just going to be in this church. I won't be on that church. I won't be in this. I want to do this. I want to. What did you just do? Listen, Jesus' prayer was fulfilled at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon the saints of God, the foundation, the cornerstone had already been laid. Jesus Christ built on the foundation of the apostles. Holy Spirit came upon them. At that point in time, guess what? There was now one. Now listen, he had to knock Peter around. Peter, the Gentiles are included. He told him, he says, you will be my witnesses to Judea, Galilee, Judea, Samaria, and where? And the outermost parts of the world. Okay, now they're all there going, well, this is kind of cool. But when it came to dealing with the Gentiles and the Samaritans, the apostles struggled with it. And God said, you don't understand. You were there in the upper room when I prayed that even those who will hear this message will be one. Paul says, I have a mystery. Who would have thought? Jew and Gentile, one. There's not a Messianic Jew. You are either in the church or you're not. Okay, you have the saints or the eights. Okay, you don't, I can't make you be unified with me. God already has done it. He's already done it. See, and that's the thing that you and I have to, listen, this was written to the letter to the church in Corinth. It was written to the Galatians. It was written to the Ephesians. Okay, it was written to the Romans. What? You are one. So you know what that tells me? There's an issue with it. I look around at the church today and what do I see? There's an issue with it. Why are we not willing to sit down and reason together from the scriptures? Why aren't we? Traditions become greater than the book. I see people who will fight over footnotes. My footnotes here says that such and such said such and such. Well, cut them out. I don't think they're divinely inspired. We really need to get this picture because we're one body. Listen, I'm, I want to talk to us now. We are one body. We are not spiritual loners. There are no outsiders. There's no drifters. And guess what? There are no spectators. The life of God is in each of us. And each of us is vital to the body of Christ. Okay? You can have a body and have crippled up limbs, but when you look at the body, what do you have? A crippled up body. There is no degrees of importance. There's no degrees of responsibility. This is one of the things that is killing the church. In Castle Rock. In Castle Rock. We are an organism. Every part of the total life, no matter how small, is necessary. And we have to be aware of that. We need to get this picture. We are not a business. We are not a group of people watching paid professionals. 
We are citizens of the same kingdom. We are one family. We are one flock. We are one bride for one bridegroom. We are one body. Okay, now then, I want to go in. That's just introduction. Now back to your text. I want to look at verses 14 through 17. <clears throat> For the body is not one member, but many. And I just sit there and go, duh. Okay, but let me tell you something about unity. Unity demands diversity. Did you get that? Unity demands diversity. I grew up in uh, car country where cars were manufactured. I mean, literally, um, everybody in my community had some dealings with automobile. I mean, you could have been at Armco Steel, but Armco Steel made steel for... That was back when they made steel cars. Now they're just plastic. Okay, uh, but you had General Motors, we had Ford, we had Duckle Moraine, we had all of them, all the rest of it. Now, let me tell you something. If the autos workers decided that we are going to be so unified that all of us, 8,000 employees, are all going to put on the left telite lens, period, what happens? Where are you going to put it on? Where are you going to put it on? But we're unified. Okay. But we're going to put it on. If you take a football team, 44 guys, everybody on the team says, goes to the owner and says, we have come to a conclusion that we are so unified, we are all going to be the quarterback. It's going to be a great team, ain't it? Everybody reaching back, throwing the ball down the field. To who? Lots of interceptions. Okay? But you see what I'm trying to get at? So unity demands diversity. Okay? When you have people seeking for themselves, look what you run into. The body is not one member, but it is many members. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Is that true? It's still part of the body, but it is self-seeking. Listen, look at verse 29. He gives you the argument here. All are not apostles, are they? No, of course not. All are not prophets, are they? Well, no, that's silly. Well, all are not teachers, are they? No, all are not workers of miracles, are they? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? So you see what's going on? Why? Do you note the gifts that he listed out there? They are the show-off gifts. Notice he doesn't say everyone has the gift of exhortation. Well, what the heck does that do? Get the tape. Okay, they, they, do you want the same gifts? This is his argument here in verses 14 through 17. The ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. I'm not an eye, I'm not, I ain't going to do it. He says it doesn't make you any less part of the body. 
And it's seen today. The point, the body is one whole because it has all these necessary functioning parts, right? They all have to be there. I wish that we would grasp this. Okay? Part, I mean, there's multiple reasons that the church is crippled. Listen, if we collectively do not operate, we will not present properly the picture or the manifestation of Christ. You know why? Because you will start trying to train a foot to do the work of a hand. That's Paul's argument here. And if you've got the foot doing the work of the hand, when somebody looks at it, what do they see? A foot trying to act like a hand. And when a lost person looks at that picture, they say, What the heck is that? What the heck is that? Let me ask you a question. When I read through this, I mean, this is so, it's simplistic, actually. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Okay, now remember what the body is. End of verse 12. So also is Christ. So also is Christ. If the whole body were hearing... Where would the sense of smell be? So what you have here is some... When you lay out the end of verse 12, Paul is given some horrific chastening. You've made Christ look inept and crippled. Just because of your selfishness. Okay? There is diversity in the body of Christ. If you have a speaking gift, it may show up in any, man, any manner of different ways. If you have a serving gift, it may show up in any manner of ways. The, the key to you guys right now, and I really want you to hear what I'm saying, is selflessness. Selflessness. It isn't what's about it for me. And listen, if you think that you can go and give and all of a sudden you're going to expect to bear fruit just like that, you're a fool. Jesus literally stopped disease and death and had power over demons and miracles for three years every day. And he had what? One betray. One deny. The other ten vanished. And you think that you should be touted out of here as a hero? Lifted up on the shoulders of some great man or woman of God? But I thought you were going to be a follower of Jesus. That's kind of tough, ain't it? So let me ask you a question. If we don't operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the giftedness that He's given us, we do not present properly the picture of Christ, the manifestation of Christ. All right? Well, that makes sense. Great. Great. And it was obvious that there was some struggling going on in the church in Corinth over what is their spiritual gifts. What is your gift? And how does your gift manifest itself? 
Okay, so that's how he started out, chapter 12. Do not want you to be unaware about this. I want you to know this. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. So I'm going to ask you a question, every single one of you right now. Do you know what your gift is? You should. And for a bunch of you, you have no reason not to know what your gift is that you've been through all of the teaching. What's your gift? How does the Spirit of God use you? Does He use you? So that's what Paul's getting at here, people. You should be able to define your ministry, your service to the body of Christ, your service to Christ, your service to Christ and His people. See, if you don't do what the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do, you're going to mess up everything. You're going to get with the group that says, I'm going to put the left tail light on. What? What are you going to put it on? If the people aren't doing what the Holy Spirit has empowered them to do, the body is in rebellion. The body is in rebellion. And it happens in the church. And then the church decides they will get organized. And I shared with you a quote from last week. When the church gets organized, it then becomes the most unchristlike. Okay? You know why the church gets organized? Because it has to figure out the way to take that foot and teach it to do what a hand does. And it has to be organized to do that. Part of the reason you see the church look like the way she does today. I heard this morning that uh, New Life is going to have to lay off 50 employees since the loss of their pastor a few months ago. Uh, attendance is down, giving is down, and they're going to let 50 employees going to get furloughed. And they was going through on how tragic this is. Ain't nothing tragic about it. It's right on schedule. Why? You created a business, it's going to run and respond like a business. You guys had to get rid of the CEO, profits are going to drop. Part of the reason that I see the church buying the business models is too many in the church today are not doing what the organism needs them to do. Okay? I don't know how... I got to have to say it as blunt as I can. I was trying to be politically correct, and it just doesn't work for me. Okay? The church today is bypassing carnal people. People who are worrying about themselves, well, we'll get organized, and we'll get us a staff in here, and we'll do this, and we'll do that, and, we'll, and, and we can bypass... The carnality of people. Okay? The church is supposed to deal with carnality. 
those who are in the flesh. You can look around right now and you can say, you know, such and such hasn't been here in a couple of days or a couple of Sundays or something like that. You know, my question is, how come you haven't called them? Who deals with carnality in the church? The saints do. It's the organism does. Well, but we hired you. Yeah, right. See what we just did? It's the pastor's responsibility. It's the elder's responsibility. Really? You're going to have a tough time with 1 Thessalonians 5. Because 1 Thessalonians 5 says it's our responsibility. If you see somebody who's missing and you haven't reached out to them, how's come? Well, I just think they're being knuckleheads. No, they're being carnal. They're being carnal. And what's really scary for me is that because you won't reach out to them, you're carnal. Well, you think you're so good? You who are spiritual, see any believer in a trespass, call the elders. Have them pray over them. That ain't what it says. It says get up there and bear their burden. That's the organism. But what we end up doing is trying to make the eye be an ear. Why? Because I just don't want to deal with the sin. We need to deal with the carnality. And it ain't just me. Paul's dealing with the carnality here in this church. Man, you ought to read some of the dialect that goes on in 2 Corinthians. Somebody stood up and accused Paul why Paul is there of sexual immorality. And no one in the church defended him. And he says, are you not my fruit? I mean, you guys wouldn't even be a church if I hadn't wandered into town. That's amazing to me. But you know what? I see it today. I see it today. All over the place. Listen, the diversity that is in the body of Christ is not accidental. Verse 11 says the Holy Spirit distributes individually as He wills. Why? So it will be the manifestation of Christ to a lost and dying world. Everyone, let me explain this to you. Everyone in this room, okay, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. If you are saved this day, you have an area of ministry that God has given you. And he has empowered you with divine enabling to fulfill, to serve as he has demanded. Every one of you. Now listen, if you're waiting for this organization to give you a ministry, forget it. If I got to tell you what to do, you've got a problem. You have a very serious problem. Because you know what? I am of the firm belief that the same Holy Spirit that is in me is the same Holy Spirit that is in you. And I have never had any problem of Him telling me what I need to be doing. Now, I've had a whole bunch of you think you need to assist Him. But the truth of the matter is, if you're saved, you're indwelt by the same Spirit that I'm indwelt with, and you ought to be sensitive to what He's saying needs to be done. 
Because he's probably put a burr under your saddle or a blister on your something and says, this needs to be done. I've empowered you to do it. Do it. You must show your faithfulness to serve. Period. So when people say, listen, when I hear people think that I am supposed to tell them what ministry opportunities are there, um, I'm just going to smile at you and say, take your gift and do something. What? I don't care. Anything. Just do it. That's it. Well, that seems... If you're expecting more... I don't have biblical precedence for more. It says, I am to sanctify you with truth. The word is truth. I've got my part down. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to give myself to prayer and the word. Mine's easy. Okay? I mean, if you're expecting more, we're in trouble. If you think that I need to go out, what does the community... The community needs the manifestation of Christ so that they see the hope of glory and they're going to see that when we are united and we're all using divine power to literally send shockwaves around the globe I like it it seems like a good plan I have the gift of teaching but there doesn't seem to be any openings in the church do you know somebody who knows less than you? Go talk to them and give them what you got. Why? Well, I have the gift of exhortation. Do you have a homeless ministry? You're in Kassarai. There's no such thing as homeless. Okay? But if you have the gift of exhortation, I know thousands upon ten thousands who are hopeless so open your mouth but you need to who says who says why don't you do it in your own home why don't you bring the wayward into your own home why don't you have a bible study in your own home why don't you whatever your gift is just Wow, but I need to. No, you're, 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 we're missing this because we bought the mindset that says you got to have Sunday school and. You know what? There's a place for it. If you have the gift of teaching, I guarantee you. Listen, what is the Great Commission? That's right. Making disciples as you are going. Who's supposed to do that? Who? All those who are saved. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing with that? Are you making disciples? You know what? I can guarantee you, you are. You may not like what you're making, but you are making learners. Okay? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? We have, you've been supernaturally empowered. Do it! I like that. Woohoo! Do you know what your ministry is? That's how I started it. No. Hmm. Perhaps you need to move self out of the way 
and watch what Christ does? Or are you waiting for it to be on your terms? You have become a spectator. Shepherding of people. Who's supposed to do that? Nobody's answering. I can tell you who does it. It comes right out of the congregation. Comes right out of the congregation. Why do we have seminaries? Because we believe that we can send somebody down here and then send them out to do what? Shepherd. What'd you just do? I have a paid professional and I can sit and watch him. And if I don't like what he's doing, I'll go to the next Christian production till I find one who's doing what I'm doing. Okay, listen, I'm not against seminary. I've heard some of the stuff that's taught. We need to get some people smarter than that. But the truth of the matter is, the body of Christ is supposed to be the place where the doctrine is infused into the people. And then if you want to teach them some languages and some weird stuff like that, send them to seminary. But if the doctrine is taught where? In the church. Why? So you know who God is. Why? So that I can be exposed to God, so I can be more like God, so I can die to self, and so I can be used greater. Listen, God puts you, I don't care who you are, Al and Sandy are downstairs, Karen's here, or Adam. God puts you in the place he wants you to do what he wants, to whom he wants, with the outcome he wants. Period. And the only way you will fall into that line is to die to sell. Is to die to sell. Okay? If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. It is still part of the body. Though its manifestation makes a lost and dying world see a crippled Christ. And when I see the church today, I only have to ask one question. When the lost look at it, what do they see? Okay, and then all I have to do is ask you, what is your ministry? What is it that God has called you to do specifically? And are you doing it? Because He's given you everything you need for life and godliness let's pray father thank you for your word thank you for your precious bride your church lord praise you that uh, it is a manifestation of christ father these are trying times heart-wrenching times and yet, Lord, you warned us that it will come a time when men will not endure sound doctrine, but will gather to themselves teachers that please them, tickle their ears. Father, that men will be lovers of self. And, Father, we are in that. Father, I have seen it. You've given me the privilege to see it in other places where Christ is the focus. Father, I pray that my precious brothers and sisters this day see you as the focus. Understanding, Lord... Your ways are not our ways. Understanding, Lord, that you've placed us here 
for such a time as this. You've gifted us here for such a time as this. You've drawn us to people for such a time as this. And the outcome is for such a time as this. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that in your power, in your majesty, you have the ability to take an earthen vessel with a precious treasure inside and touch the lost and dying world. And I just praise you for being a part of that. Father, I pray that my brothers and sisters will rejoice at what you've given. And Father, will be poured out as drink offerings to the glory of the King of kings and Lord of lords. To your glory and praise. Amen.